Welcome to the TriStar Church Podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Continuing in our series, studying through uh, the book of uh, 1 Timothy. <clears throat> and this uh, was written by Paul. If you've not been around, uh, maybe you're, it's your first time. Uh, this was written by Paul uh, to uh, his representative, Timothy, who was in the church at Ephesus. Um, and uh, this is his instructions on how the church ought to behave and conduct themselves and kind of address some of the issues that they were facing there at the church in Ephesus. I encourage you to go back if you missed any of the series so far and uh, catch up on those. We ended last week in First Timothy chapter 3. We're going to pick up at the end of First Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 14 through 16. We're going to start there as our launch pad, and we're going to go through the first five verses in chapter four. Not a lot of scripture this morning, but a lot of content, a lot of meat, and a lot of weight uh, that is here uh, for us. And what we see in 1 Timothy chapter 3, uh, 14 through 16, Paul says this, I hope to come to you, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up in glory. Paul's going to remind Timothy that, hey, my hope is I want to come to you in person. I want to deliver this information, these instructions to you, but I may not be able to get there. And so I need to write you and make sure that you understand what is going on. The church is the hope of the world, Paul is saying here. You are the church. You are a, uh, uh, he calls it a pillar, a buttress. A buttress is a foundational piece of structure and support to a building or to a structure. It holds everything up. And the church is a pillar of support in our community. And what holds it up, Paul says, is the truth. And so when it comes to truth, we know that as Paul to be scripture. And as we approach scripture, for many of us, we fall into one of two camps. And this is kind of interesting. This happens in a lot of issues as, as we talk about it in the church. We all kind of fall into our camps and we're either or. Um, and Paul is going to say, for many of us, when it comes to scripture, we fall into the, the camp of, be, of uh, behavior. And so when we read scripture, we read scripture through the lens of what does scripture say I ought to do, how I should behave, how I should conduct myself, how I should structure my life, what I should talk about, the things I should do, the places I should go. There's a second camp that we can fall into as we approach scripture, and that is the belief camp. We open up the word of God and we study God's word and we go, what does God's word have to say about my beliefs? How I see the world around me, how I think about God, 
how I think about myself, how I think about my neighbors around me. And so we approach scripture in either one or two camps most of the time. Behavior, how it affects my life and the things that I do, the things that I say, or my beliefs. And here's the challenge. For a lot of people, they come to Scripture and they're all about what does Scripture have to say about my behavior, about my actions, and they spend very little time studying about what Scripture says about belief. They don't develop a proper theology. They don't develop a right understanding of who God is. Others come and they're fixated on belief, right? They're consumed with theology and debates and arguments about all these crazy different theological thoughts and ideas, and they never take time to go, but how am I acting? How am I behaving? What am I doing? They engage in hours of theological debates, minutes on end, instead of engaging with the world around them. And what Paul is going to do here, Paul is going to, in 1 Timothy, say, listen, both are important. Behavior is important. Belief is important. In fact, in Ephesus, these guys had fallen into some pretty terrible behaviors because they had jacked up beliefs. They didn't know what was true. They didn't know what was right. They didn't have a proper theology, and so they were engaging in bad behaviors, behaviors that didn't really reflect Jesus much at all. And what had led them to this place was deceitful teaching that was happening within the church at Ephesus. There were teachers who had risen up within the church at Ephesus and they were teaching things that were not true. And these improper teachings were leading people to bad actions, to engage in a lifestyle that was not becoming of a Christ follower and did not represent Jesus. And so both right behavior and right beliefs are important to us as Christ followers. We've got to have both. We can't just engage in theological debates and arguments and never worry about the way we live our lives. And we can't just focus on behavior and never develop a proper understanding of who God is. Both are critical because we represent Jesus. Maybe you remember uh, being a kid. I, I grew up in a family of four. Um, if you are a large family, let's say more than two kids, you get this, right? Uh, before you go out in public, you have the conversation before you go someplace, right? And the conversation in our household was always like this, look here, look at me, right? All of you, all four of you, we're going into public, behave or I'm gonna whoop you twice as bad as I would normally whoop you if you go into public. We could be bad at home, but if we went in public and we embarrassed our parents, you were getting it. Like it was gonna be on like Donkey Kong, right? And you always knew when you were in public and you were misbehaving, you weren't acting like you should and you were embarrassing my mom, she would reach over and she'd grab you, put that arm around you and just kind of pull you into her, especially in church, right? And she'd talk right into your ear, boy, if you don't straighten up when I get you home, I'm gonna wear your, and the moisture's building up in your ear and like, you're like, stop mama, stop, right? Like I'll behave, right? Like you understood, you represented them. And our behavior is important because we represent the most high God. But your behavior can't be right without right belief. Are we looking more and more like Jesus or are we looking more and more like the world? 
And here's the challenge. If we have great theological beliefs, let's say we've studied scripture and we know all the different arguments, we know all the different beliefs that are out there and yet we live like a complete jerk to our family. What good does that accomplish? I know men who, who, who go, listen, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do this right, I, I'm a good guy, but they're terrible to their wives. They're terrible to their kids. What does it matter what you know if your actions do more damage? A good lifestyle will not overcome bad beliefs. And when we focus on either belief or behavior at the exclusion of the other, we're heading towards a dangerous trap. And that's what Paul is saying here. It's like, listen, if the church has got to be a pillar of hope, but the church will never be a pillar of hope unless we focus on both behavior and beliefs. They're connected. We don't exclude one for the other. And so maybe you're looking, you're going, what is going on in verse 16 here, right? Like, this is just weird. Paul, you know, Paul, you make sense here, uh, you know, uh, and, and I, I wanted to come to you. I wanted to tell you the church is a pillar of hope. It's a buttress of, of truth in your community. And then you get to this mystery of godliness. What the heck is, like, did, did Paul have a moment where he just lapsed? No, this is uh, kind of like a hymn. Uh, that finds itself here in the midst of this, uh, in this passage. Um, and it is representing Jesus. Jesus is the mystery of godliness that Paul is talking about here. He was manifested in the flesh. He was vindicated by the spirit. He was seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world. He was taken up in glory. This was a hymn declaring Jesus as our primary focus. Paul is reminding us here in verse 16, he's reminding the people in Ephesus that Jesus should be their focus. That their focus should not be on all of these other things, but that Jesus was their focus. The gospel was the, the, the point of everything that they should be doing. Jesus is what we as the church must confess because the church's message to the world has always been and must always be Jesus. We cannot get off onto something else. We cannot take up another banner because any other message is gonna lead us off point from what Jesus has called us to. And that was what was happening in Ephesus. False teachers who didn't love Jesus had risen up and they were proclaiming messages. They were proclaiming teachings within the church there in Ephesus that were leading people astray. Aestheticism and legalism were becoming the message of the church in Ephesus. And their focus was moving off of Jesus. And it was being put on all the things they, they couldn't do in order to earn salvation. And Paul is saying, that is wrong. Your focus is off of Jesus. Jesus is the focus. The gospel is the focus. There is no other message for the church. I don't care how clever your vision statement is. If it is not Jesus, it is wrong. We have a vision. It's the gospel. I love this quote by Tim Keller. Because the gospel is endlessly rich, it can handle the burden of being the one main thing of the church. The problem is we don't like to keep it the main thing. 
We like to put our eyes on other things. We like to get focused on other things that we think are important. And the challenge that Paul is going to remind us, just like the challenge in Ephesus is, we have to keep Jesus, we have to keep the gospel as the main thing for the church. And so what Paul is going to do as he moves into Ephesians 4 is he's going to tell us some of the ways in which uh, they had gotten into false teachings here in Ephesus. He's going to tell us what some of those false teachings were in Ephesus, First Timothy 4. Verse 1, now this spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Paul does not hide his feelings about these false teachers in Ephesus. These are liars. They are not sincere. Their consciences have been seared. They are hell bound, Paul is saying. For they forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received by thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. <clears throat> Paul says, listen, do not be shocked. Do not freak out when people fall away from faith. People are going to fall away from faith. That should not shock you. There are going to be people who rise up in the church who are going to teach false teaching. They're going to teach false doctrine. And people are naive and they're going to follow it. People who don't know this, right? If you've not devoted yourself to studying the word, if you've not developed a proper theology and understanding who God is, it's going to be easy to lead you astray. Paul is warning us of this. That's why it's important for us to engage in regular worship together, to study the word together. It's why it's important for us to study the word on our own so that we know what scripture says so it's not easy to lead us astray. And that's what's happening in Ephesus. This is why right behavior and right beliefs are equally important. These false teachers who didn't love Jesus, whose hearts were not sincere, they moved in, they began to teach a message other than Jesus. And let me encourage you, be careful whose teaching you sit under. Be careful. And I mean that with me. I am not God. I am responsible for proclaiming the word that I believe God has laid on my heart for our church. But listen, you have a responsibility to study scripture as well. Be careful who you sit under, whose teaching you allow to influence your life because it can easily lead you astray if their heart is not loving God. And this is what is going on in Ephesus. Any teaching that takes the focus off of Jesus and the gospel and puts it on something else other than God, no matter how God-like it might sound, is blasphemy and you should run from it. It should always lift up the name of Jesus. It should always elevate the gospel. Because here's the problem. When what we teach or focus on eclipses Jesus, we are teaching heresy and we are promoting idols. 
When what I teach and proclaim, if I am proclaiming a message and I make it bigger than Jesus, it is heresy because Jesus is the message of the church. If I elevate a person or if I elevate an activity and it eclipses Jesus, it is an idol. And in the name of Jesus, it has to be torn down. I know people who have elevated spiritual discipline for the sake of discipline so high that they can't even see Jesus. And it's an idol because our first love has always been called to be Jesus. Not how great of a Bible study or how many we find ourselves sitting in, or the hours of time that we spend in prayer. Those are all good things, but they cannot eclipse Jesus. He is our first love. And when we elevate anything or any teaching in a place higher than Jesus, we are in a dangerous place. So these false teachers were leading people astray from the simplicity of the gospel message. That's what's beautiful. The gospel message is simple, but sometimes we don't like simple. We want to make it more complicated. And I think we do that because the gospel is so simple and we struggle sometimes to just hold on to that. And so Paul here in verses three through five, he's gonna tell us what some of those false teachings were that were leading people um, astray here uh, in, in, uh, in the church in Ephesus. Uh, and the first false teaching was this, he, they were forbidding marriage. They were saying, hey, listen, you, you don't need to get married. Everybody should abstain, do not get married, run away from marriage, live a life of singleness, be devoted to that so that you can spend all your time on God. The second false teaching that was happening in Ephesus that Paul is going to address here is the forbidding to eat certain meats and certain foods. Both, I want you to hear this, both of these false teachings in Ephesus contained some element of truth. Abstaining from marriage, abstaining for certain foods and sticking to a certain diet code, you could find both of those embraced in Scripture. You can find Scripture that point, Paul talks about it. It's better for you to stay single, right? If you can, be like me so you can focus on the gospel. You can find that in Scripture. You can also find abstaining from certain foods in Scripture. But the problem was these false teachers had taken these isolated places in Scripture and elevated it up as a teaching and said, if you want salvation, you have to do this. This is what's required of you. And let me just encourage you. Good heresy, which there is no such thing as good heresy, right? But when someone is trying to, to, to craft a false teaching, a heretical teaching, good heresy is typically grounded in a scripture. It usually finds its root in a single scripture. Don't believe me? Go back to the South in the days of slavery and they could justify it scripturally because they could find a scripture to support their case. But you know what? If you read all of scripture, you can't support that. 
That is why you need to, to avoid teaching that's only supported by a single verse of Scripture and not the whole of Scripture. As you study, you need to not only ask, what does Scripture say in this moment, in this verse that I'm reading, but what does the whole of Scripture say about this? The deception in Ephesus came because they elevated not marrying and not eating certain foods, a prerequisite for salvation. It became something you could do that would earn you favor with God. This form of asceticism uh, was fluished by, or probably influenced by the uh, Essenes uh, and even the contemporary Greek thought of the day that, that thought that anything that is uh, uh, physical is evil and anything that is spiritual is good. And so you want to deny yourself of all the physical things that you can and embrace the spiritual. And God is going to be pleased with you if you do that. You're going to somehow earn favor with God and you'll, you'll show everybody else how spiritual you are. And we're guilty of this too, right? Like how often do we think that if we sacrifice something for God, we don't come out and say this, but that he owes us. Hey, if I just won't do that, then God will bless me. Oh, but if I do that, he's gonna strike me down. This is legalism. It's manipulation. It's thinking if I behave in a certain way, I can manipulate God into doing something for me, which actually takes God and makes him our servant instead of us being his servant. You see the problem in that? And that's what's happening here in Ephesus. This is why Paul calls this the teaching of demons. He calls this demonic teaching because you are elevating yourself over God and making him your servant. And the reality is neither celibacy or any kind of diet can sanctify you. Only Jesus can. There is nothing that is going to clean you up and make you acceptable to God except for the blood of Jesus. Amen? So Paul says, quit looking to all that. Don't fall for those deceitful teachings. Ecclesiastes 9 reminds us that we are to enjoy the life that God has given us. That we shouldn't look at the gifts of God. We shouldn't look at the physical world around us as something that should be avoided. We should delight in it. 1 Corinthians 9, 27, Paul reminds us that at the same time that we delight in the world, we also must discipline ourselves and bring it under control, lest after we preach to others, we should be disqualified. Delighting in God's good gifts are a good thing. We need to take time to pause and to recognize and to enjoy God's goodness, to not just run at a 90 miles an hour all the time to delight in his goodness. But at the same time that we delight in God, we need to understand that discipline is a good and a necessary practice. Just a few minutes ago as we were uh, worshiping together, the thing that is amazing is the guy who plays the drums, right? There is no way in God's green earth I will ever be able to play drums, right? If you put me on stage and said, the drummer's out, Matt, you got to play drums or we won't have worship, it's going to be a train wreck. Because like me doing two different things simultaneously does not happen. 
But do you know how he got to the point that he can do that and it sound incredible and lead us in worship? Discipline. Practice. Committing to certain practices over and over until he developed the skills necessary. We need discipline. We need to not only delight in God and in Jesus, but we also need to discipline ourselves because here's the trap if we're not careful and discipline. If I'm not careful, I can discipline myself to the point that I miss Jesus. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. They were disciplining themselves. They were denying themselves of all these things. But what was the purpose? Why? Because someone told you to do that? Jesus said you don't need to do all that. It was about the discipline and not about Jesus. Discipline had become an idol. It had eclipsed Jesus. And just like there is a a trap in too much discipline, there's also a trap in too much delighting in the world around you, right? You can take delighting in the world around you too far. God wants you to enjoy food, but if you delight in food too much, you become a glutton. And scripture says that is wrong and that is sinful. Just like you can enjoy a drink, but if you drink too much, you become a drunkard. And that is not good either, as Paul talked about that last week. Everything in our life, we can delight in it too much, and it becomes an idol, and it consumes us. We can delight in our spouse. Listen, you can delight in your spouse, but if you're not careful, you can elevate your spouse to an idol that eclipses Jesus. which is exactly what happened with Jacob, which we studied a few weeks ago. There's a type of discipline that becomes legalism and it causes us to miss Jesus. I become consumed and focused on what I'm doing instead of focusing and delighting in Jesus. And I end up being a very disciplined individual, but I miss out on what Jesus has for me. So how should we behave in the house of God? What is Paul's encouragement to us? If we're a hope and a pillar of hope and and truth in our community, how should we behave in in such a way where our our beliefs and behavior are, are, are both right and good? I think first we should delight in the good gifts of God. James 1.17 says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And we should, church, enjoy those gifts. But we must be careful that we do not delight so much into those that they become idols that eclipse who God is, the one who gave those gifts to us. I see this so often with people who don't spend much time developing their faith. They don't really go to church, don't really worship God. If you were to talk to them, they probably couldn't tell you the last time they opened their Bible and read scripture. And then all of a sudden, they get life-shaking, life-shattering news. And they become a prayer warrior. You want to know why? Because their idol's being shaken. 
their comfort and enjoyment of this life has become their idol and they love that more than they love Jesus. And it wrecks them when they think it could be taken away. It's why it's so important for you and I to spend time in the word, to develop our faith, to grow our faith so that there is something of substance when we walk through the trials and the difficulties of, our, our, of life. We love Jesus more than we love this life ourselves. We've developed our faith to the point that we love Jesus more than we love our spouse. We love Jesus more than we love our children. We love Jesus more than we love everything we experience in this world so that our faith cannot be shaken. That's what God's trying to develop in all of us. We must delight in the good gifts of God without turning them into idols that eclipse Jesus himself. The second thing we should do is we should be disciplined. Our discipline must first be rooted in Jesus, not ourselves. And our discipline should always lead us to delighting in Jesus. Any discipline that points to ourselves or our own accomplishments instead of God, Paul is going to call it demonic. When we discipline ourselves, we do it for the purpose of enjoying Jesus and being more like him. Because it is a dangerous place to look the part of a Christian, but to miss Jesus. To live a life that says, I can't do that. I don't do this. I'm really good at not doing that, but I don't know who Jesus is. That is a scary place to live your life. And can I just tell you one of the scariest things for me as a pastor is this new norm that we have created called cultural Christianity where we have a form of godliness where our lives look like we're a good Christian, but we don't know Jesus himself. We don't delight in him. It is a dangerous place. And it is exactly what Jesus talks about in Matthew 7, 21. For me, the scariest verse in all of scripture, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And did we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. It's the scariest verse in the Bible. Can I tell you something? I've never prophesied in the name of Jesus. I've never healed someone like the disciples did in the name of Jesus. And for Jesus to say, you can do those things in my name and still miss it. We better be paying attention. We cannot look like Jesus. We cannot be cultural Christians whose lives look like God, but we don't know who he is. 
Jesus says, those people I will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. How did they miss it? Because they were focused on something else other than Jesus. They allowed something else other than Jesus to eclipse him, and they maybe pursued godly things, but they never pursued Jesus. It is why Paul says we have to both delight in Jesus and we also must discipline ourselves because if we don't, we can easily miss Jesus. We can become focused on things that don't really matter. We can become consumed by things that are pointless. Matthew 23, verse 23 through 24, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders and he tells them, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 24, you blind guides straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. In Judaism, a gnat was the smallest unclean animal there was. It's the smallest unclean animal. The camel is the largest unclean animal in uh, Jewish law. And here's Jesus saying, listen, you're over here worried about a gnat when you're swallowing a camel. You're missing it. And thousands of years later, we're still doing the same thing in the church. We're focused on the wrong things. We're boasting in the wrong things. Probably going to offend some people here, but I'm, I'm sorry. We'll just do it, right? This past week, Southern Baptist Convention met addressing where they're going to fall on what they do with women's roles in the church and how they can or can't lead within the church. They've made their decision and to watch the fallout on social media about it, to watch people just up in arms about the different decisions and where people are. And I'm just sitting back and the Lord has, mm, the Holy Spirit has restrained me so many times, right? Because I've typed up a message and my message would sound something like this. Some of y'all are going to get to heaven and you're going to be really upset to find out that Jesus was way more worried about how you interacted with your neighbor with the gospel than he was about women's leadership roles in the church. The gospel should be our focus. I'm not saying the other isn't important, but we can't elevate it to this high place of importance and spend all of our time arguing and fighting over that and neglecting the gospel. That's straining out gnats while swallowing a camel. There are people in our community dying and going to hell and we're arguing theological minute details. Not that it's not important, 
But you cannot exclude the gospel and go, oh, I'm good. I've got all my theological points in order and I can explain everything. Yeah, but have you actually talked to someone about the gospel? When's the last time you sat down and discipled someone, which is what Jesus said we're all to be disciple makers, by the way. When's the last time you did that? It's belief and behavior. Equal. Let's stop straining out the gnats with our own self-discipline that makes me look good, but not Jesus. That is void of the gospel and it does not represent him well. And that is where the church in Ephesus was. And if we are not careful, we will be in the same place if we don't listen to Paul's advice here in 1 Timothy 3 and 4. And what is it? The first piece of advice he gives us is that we should delight in Jesus and every good gift he gives us. It is good to delight in Jesus. It's good to enjoy the life he has given us. It is good. Listen, can I just encourage you to do one thing? Take Sabbath. Enjoy a Sabbath. Take a day off. Don't do yard work. Don't answer emails. Don't take phone calls from anybody that you work with. Binge watch your favorite series. Enjoy a couple of glasses of wine, or whatever you want to do, right? Enjoy time with your spouse. Enjoy all those things. We're meant to enjoy that. Delight in what God has given you. But Paul also advises us to discipline ourselves. Don't let any of those things become idols in your life. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. You would look more like Jesus. Discipline yourself. It's good to say no to some things in your life. It's good to have self-restraint. And the third piece of advice he gives us here is to avoid dangerous teachings that calls us to fall away from Jesus. He says, don't be shocked. It's all around you. There's all kinds of people who want to raise up and proclaim a message other than Jesus, and some of it's going to look really, really good. But if their hearts are not sincere... If their message isn't Jesus, you're in trouble. Jesus, we thank you this morning for the words of Paul, for his advice to us. We are not too far different from the church in Ephesus. For some of us, we struggle to delight in you, to enjoy the good gifts that you have given us. Would you help us to enjoy you more, to delight in you? For those of us who come this morning and find ourselves in a place of uh, not much discipline in our life, who just go from experience to experience from emotion to emotion. Would you help us take Paul's words into advice? Would we discipline ourselves 
so that we will become more like you? Will we learn to say no in certain areas so that we can embrace things that are of you? Can we learn to say no with our time, with activities that are good, but rob us from what's most important, and that's you? And would you help guard us, maybe for those who are here who are struggling, who've allowed something to be elevated over Jesus? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's an activity, maybe it's a teaching. I don't know what it is, but if there are any of us in this room who have allowed something to become an idol and to eclipse Jesus, would you just shine a light on it so brightly? Would we repent? Would we lay it down? Would we receive the mercy and forgiveness that only Jesus can give us? And will we walk freely with you? Would you help us this week to turn our eyes off of those things, to turn our eyes off of the things of this world that are good and you want us to enjoy? Could we take our eyes off of those and look fully into the face of Jesus to see his worth, to see his value in our lives? In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarnox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers, equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.